Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George, and we appreciate your downloading us once again. Um, This week is our Kona Preview Week. I've had the opportunity to race the Ironman World Championship a couple of times in 2012 and 2014. I've also coached a handful of people who have competed there as well. And so we're going to be drawing on that experience uh, to talk a little bit about the course, about the nature of the race, about the sponsors, and about some of the people who will be competing. And so uh, we hope you'll find that interesting. And we encourage you to drop us a line uh, if you have anything to add or anything that you disagree with. Uh, You can always write to me at george at itlcoaching.com, to patrick at patrick at itlcoaching.com, um, or you can send one to the podcast more generally at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Now, speaking of people who are going to be competing in Kona this year, we wanted to give a special shout-out and dedicate this podcast to the dynamic duo from Atlanta that is going to be competing there, Brent and Kyle Pease. Uh, I interviewed Brent Pease along with Paul Link uh, in one of the early podcasts for, or the early editions of this podcast back in 2016, and then a few days later I, I interviewed Kyle Pease. Um, Kyle was born with cerebral palsy, and he can only compete in Ironmans with the help of his brother Brent, and they've done several Ironman-branded races now, both full-length Ironmans. Um, Their first Ironman was a race that I happened to be in, in the 2013 Ironman Wisconsin, Uh, but they've also done Ironman Florida um, and a few others, as well as some 70.3 races as well. Uh, They did the New York City Marathon a couple of years ago, too, in 2015. But this year, they got a bid to go to Kona, um, and they've both been working really hard, um, and they've inspired a lot of people along the way, and so we want to wish them uh, the best of luck on the big island when they go out there to compete. So with that, let's get into our preview of the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. We appreciate you joining us, everybody. It is Kona Preview Week. The week that we've all been waiting for. I know you've been waiting for it, Patrick. <laughs> yes, I've been dying. <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, we spent a lot of time previewing the Boston Marathon back in April uh, and... and uh, that certainly lived up to the hype, um, and so I, we wanted to spend a little bit of time here today uh, previewing Kona, um, mm-hmm. the Ironman World Championship, which um, uh, super competitive, uh, uh, long course triathlon, and and one of the marquee events, if not the marquee event in the multi-sport community, uh, taking place on October 13th this year, mm-hmm. um, uh, Saturday, October 13th, so uh, looking forward to that. Um, two weeks from this weekend, as a matter of fact, so so really right around the corner. Um what were you going to say? Absolutely, and uh, let's hope that the weather is not the same as the Boston Marathon <laughs> after our, our preview of that. Yeah. I would be very surprised if it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, no I, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm a bit newer to, to the sport and to triathloning and following professional triathletes, so this is you know it's been interesting to learn from you and to kind of hear your perspective on some of these bigger races like Conan, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Right on. Um, yeah, the, it's definitely not going to be 32 degrees and and pouring driving rain mm-hmm. uh the 40 mile headwinds uh uh those are a possibility uh and, and certainly that's something that, that has happened in kona before um but yeah kona is is well known as as any of you who follow the sport know um it's well known for um wind and heat 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the heat is made worse, um, by the nature of the course. It's pretty wide open. And then the run itself, which like most Ironmans takes place in the afternoon, um, you're running through these black lava fields. Um, and the lava fields just seem to gather up the heat and just radiates off the road and, and onto the runners in a way that most places just don't seem to have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes here. So, um, some ex- exciting things happening. There's lots of always news going on related to it. The, uh, the probably one of the bigger pieces of news that's come out about it over the course of the last couple of weeks is they announced who the title sponsor was going to be. Uh, it's been forward a few times and then, uh, it was GoPro, I want to say for the last couple of years, which I thought was a really appropriate sponsor. Um, and, and this really year, it's the triathlete like mantra or mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of triathletes have it. And then not, by coincidence, there was all sorts of really cool GoPro footage <laughs> of the last couple of years of the race. Uh, but this year, it's actually Amazon.com. Um, and so, and and, and not, rather than calling it the uh, the Ford Ironman World Championship like they have in the past, or the GoPro Ironman, they're calling it the uh, the World Ironman, or the Ironman World Championship presented by Amazon.com or presented by Amazon. So yeah, um, yeah, because it doesn't fit the Amazon brand in any way. This is just a <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because, um, and so in the last week or so, um, I've, I've started getting an increasing number of ads and they, they first popped up when Amazon first announced like in mid September that they were going to be the, the sponsor. Um, so they, they first started popping up then, but, but they've really kind of increased the number of the, of targeted ads that I get like on Facebook, for example, because mm-hmm. Facebook knows I'm an endurance athlete. Right? right. Um, and so I'm getting these targeted ads from Amazon saying, you know, we can ship you your race nutrition, stuff like Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't and, think of this. Yeah. yeah, and and it's the same ad you see everywhere with like the Amazon boxes that have the smiles on the side of them and stuff like that. But, um, but but they're specifically saying you know you can order anything here, including the gels and bars and and liquids and electrolytes that you need for your race. Um, I don't know whether they've actually you know increased their offerings or anything else like that as a result. That would be pretty cool if they had. But um, but yeah. That's that's about the only advertising angle I've seen with Amazon with it so far, but we'll see if they kind of move in some different direction. Um, Amazon also, as you know, and Jeff Bezos, who's now the richest man in America, the owner of Amazon, um, they own the Washington Post, mm-hmm. um, and and they have kind of their fingers in a few other things as well. It's not just you know shipping stuff, um, and so so it'll be interesting to see you know how they leverage it and, uh, and what, what what their mindset was when when the when the Kona. Uh, coverage is shown because they never show Kona live. They always polish it up and make it you know more exciting with music and all that sort of thing about a month later. So when they show it on NBC in about a month, we'll have to we'll we'll, we'll get a better sense of what Amazon's angle is. <laughs> and so I, I didn't even think of that angle. And I, I feel like an idiot right now, but that's really what it is. They're trying to make a play into live sports. You think on social media? Yeah, like they they went hard after the NFL for a few Thursday night games and did some test runs there. That's what this this is prime videos what this is. This is uh. not this is not prime shipping. And I did not even think about that until you said it, but I think that's what the the play is. Oh, I'm with it. Okay, that's cool cuz I'm a prime member, so that means I might actually have better access to being able to watch it like on Amazon Prime Video or something. Correct. Cool. Especially since Netflix has come out for years and said we're not going into live sports. Yeah. This is where Amazon videos real kind of oh, white spaces right or, on i'm with that blue okay ocean, whatever they call it very good very good all right good to know so so we'll see yeah so so maybe come race day in a couple of weeks here i'll be able to watch it live on prime video mm-hmm. um which would be pretty cool um as it is now you can watch it live on iron man's website 
um, you know, and that's fine. Um, it's it's kind of glitchy. Um, you wish that they would cover all the Iron Mans the way that they cover this one. I mean, they, yeah. they, they have, you know, multiple cameras on the bike and they have color commentators and past champions and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's really great. Um, it's just a long event. You know, I mean, the, the men's winners are going to run just over nine or eight hours. The women's winners are probably going to be just under nine hours. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a long event, but they, they, they pull it off on, on their, their live stream there. So, um, we'll have to see what Amazon does with it. It, it, it also should be noted. Cause I find this stuff interesting. One, I mean, Amazon is also going after a certain demographic. I mean, the, I think the, the Prime Video is a big play, but as you mentioned, this feeds into Whole Foods. Yeah. Because now, I mean, I'm looking at their statement that I just pulled up while we spoke, and they said this collab, this is uh, a release from Iron Man. They noted this collaboration, collaboration, excuse me if I can talk, will provide participants access to a vast selection of nutrition products, including items from Iron Man's official nutrition partners, Cliff Bar and Gatorade, yada, yada. So it, you know, maybe my initial gut reaction that it was videos, it was the prime driver. Maybe, hey, I'll prime driver. <laughs> um, that may be actually incorrect. It may be that they're trying to kind of buffer or kind of build the Whole Foods brand, or maybe it's both. Yeah, you know, Amazon can clearly walk and chew gum at the same time. So, so you know, maybe it's both of those things. Right. Um. So, so yeah. I mean, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned they bought Whole Foods within the last year or so, mm-hmm. and so yeah. Now, if you go into the Whole Foods, if if you're a Prime member at Whole Foods, you you get deeper discounts and all that sort of thing there. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um. And also, Amazon will now deliver things to the lockers at Whole Foods. I have found they don't deliver many faster, um, but uh, but you can go over there and you can like scan a code and you can get something out of your locker there. Um, anyway, so so yeah, that's the we spent a lot of time here talking about the the sponsor. Anyway, yeah, I'm <laughs> talking about cool. food and sleep on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. All right, only so. the most essential stuff. <laughs> um, so um, so I've done um, you know in, in the interest of full disclosure, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and say this at the outset: I've done Kona two times. Um, I did it in 2012 and I did it in 2014. Now, to give you an idea, in 2012, I was still a fairly new triathlete. I did my first Ironman in 2011 at Cozumel, which is right around uh, Thanksgiving. And then um, one of the big takeaways from Cozumel is that I needed to have a course that suited me a little bit better. And so I signed up for Ironman Coeur d'Alene, um, which is in June, um, which is now just a 70.3, and they moved it to, to a later time of the year. But um, we talked about it with Haley uh, a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Um, but um, but Ironman Coeur in Idaho, it's a, literally a mountainous course. You have climbs that, that are that are multiple miles long, um, and, uh, and it's a very hilly run course. Um, and it was also a cold wetsuit swim. So wetsuit swim, hilly bike, hilly run. I felt it, figured that, that favored me, and it did. Um, and so, so I went to Kona in 2012. Um, and competed there. Uh, learned a lot from my first time in Kona. Didn't have a great race, and we can talk a little bit more about it as we talk about the course preview here in just a few minutes. Um, in 2013, I went to Ironman Wisconsin. Same thing. Wetsuit swim, difficult bike, difficult run. Um, and so it played to my strengths a little bit, um, and I was able to qualify again and uh, went back in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, Ironman Wisconsin, which is right around September 11th, um, was the first qualifier for the following year. And so I qualified in September of 2013 uh, and then went back in October of 2014. So I had more time to prepare and, and, and get ready and improve my swim and other things. Um, and then had a much better race there in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. Not a flawless race, but a much better race. Um, ended up finishing like right about 150th overall, finished 20th in my age group. So um, I was happy with that. It wasn't quite my goal, but I was happy with, with, with my race on that particular day. Um, 
So, so yeah, I've done it twice here. And so a lot of things we're going to talk about here, particularly when it comes to like the course preview and, and all that sort of thing. Um, it's born out of, uh, not only my, my, uh, thoughts as a coach, but, but also my experience as an athlete there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, all right. So start us off and tell us a little bit about the requirements for qualifying. So for somebody that's kind of new to to Kona or new to the sport in general, how does somebody qualify? Yeah. So, so there's, a different qualify, set of qualifying standards for pros and for age groupers. And actually, right. they just announced within the last few months that they're they're changing that back pretty soon. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, a, a few years ago, they basically said that pros had to qualify through a point scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that, that certain races have certain points. Um, and they said that championship races, like the North American championship race or the African championship race, um, or the, the 70.3 world championship race or something like that, um, you would get a certain number of points for doing well in those races. Um, and if you, uh, if you got enough points, you would therefore be able to qualify for, for the Kona Ironman world championship. Um, age groupers are a little bit different now. Um, age groupers, you just have to do one race. Um, and at that one race, which is a qualifying race, you have to finish, uh, either at the top or near the top of your age group. Mm -hmm. Um, now they don't necessarily distribute, um, Kona qualifying spots, slots evenly across races. Some of them will have 50 slots, which is a lot. Some of them only have 30 slots, which is not all that much. And, but then if a race does have, for example, 50 slots, they'll dole those out across the individual age groups based on the number of participants in the race who are in that age group. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, the largest age group is always men's 35 to 39 or men's 40 to 44. That's always the largest age group, um, the most participants in that age group. And so let's say 10% of the field, uh, of, of the finishers of the race, um, are are from that age group. And if a, if a, um, if a race has 50 slots... 10% of those slots will then go to that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would mean five of those slots would go to that age group. So one, two, three, or five. Now, part of the rules also is that every age group has to have at least one slot. Um, so if you only end up having like 10 women between the ages of 18, 24 um, in, in that age group, then, then there's only going to be one slot in that. It's only going to go to the winner of that group. Um, so even though it's a very small percentage, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot different for age groupers that, that you just need to finish near the top or at the top of your age group in any event. Um, whereas, whereas pros, at least until, till next year, they have to do a lot of events and gather up all these points. Um, Ironman was, was, uh, criticized kind of heavily for that. Um, because it, it, it basically means the pros can only end up racing Ironman races, if they want to get enough points to be at the Ironman World Championship, which of course is Ironman's whole point, um, and uh, and a lot of times pros end up wearing themselves out by doing all these qualifying events, um, such that by the time they actually get to Kona, they're wiped out. It, it makes it a different sport, to, yeah. to some degree, right? I mean, it, we, there are other sports where you you have like a long playoff tournament where. Mm-hmm. Teams almost beat each other up, and then yeah. the winner is almost the one who's left standing more so than right. who the original most fit is, so to right, speak. Right, right. Well, and, and what it also does, or what it has done, is it, it widens the gap between between the very best and and the rest of the pros. Correct, yeah. And so so if you end up having, because, like, for example, the, 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 the Ironman world champion gets an automatic bid for next year. 
Now they have to do what's called um, validating that, and so he has to. So, so the Iron Man World Champion, he or she has to do an Iron Man sometime in the following calendar year. But they can literally jog through it as long as they finish it, they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, now most pros don't want to do that for other reasons, but but um, as long as they jog through it, they're good. Um, that means that that Daniela Reef, who won last year, or Patrick Lang, who won last year. That means they just have to do one Ironman over the course of 12 months, and they're going to be at the starting line again in Kona. Mm-hmm. Compare that to, say, Haley Chura, who we talked about to a few weeks ago. Um, she doesn't have that, and so she has to do multiple Ironman events in order to try and gather up the points necessarily to be on the starting line. And then, as you heard her say a couple of weeks ago, she, uh, she was 38th on the list. She was the third to not qualify, um, and because they give not as many slots to women as they give to men. She was left off the qualifying and she was not invited to be at Kona. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been difficult. Um, like I said, though, they're changing that actually not for 2019, for 2020. They're basically going back to the way they used to do it with pros. And that's essentially the same way the age groupers do it. If you finish at the front or near the front of a pro age group or of a pro race, you'll get your invitation to Kona. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, one other kind of interesting thing about the, the two other kind of things to say about the qualification, three other things to say about the qualification. <laughs> one is that, that just because you qualify doesn't mean you have to take your spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I, um, when I did Ironman Wisconsin um, in 2013, I finished second in my age group, mm-hmm. um, which was enough. The guy who won the age group did not take his Kona slot. Um, he didn't, he, he didn't want to go to Kona. He didn't want the expense. He might've been there before, whatever. Um, but, but for one reason or another, he didn't want to go back to Kona, at least not in 2014. Um, and so because of that, that slot then rolls down is what they call it. Roll down, um, to the next person in the age group. And so, so there were five slots in that age group and they went to second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. So it was like that sixth place guy's lucky day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the sixth place guy hadn't won it, it would roll down to seventh. If the seventh place guy hadn't won it, it would roll down to eighth. Um, and so sometimes the roll downs can actually go down pretty far um, uh, to people who, who um, maybe didn't finish at or, or, or at the top of the age group or near the front of the, top of the age group, uh, and they're able to get a roll down slot. Um, but those slots count too. You know? mm-hmm. um, another thing is that there's, a, there's what's called a legacy program. Um, and a legacy program is if you've done 12 Ironmans. And that's Ironman branded race, not 140.6 races, but Ironman branded races. Um, and they can be any Ironman branded races. So you can do you know, Ironman Chattanooga 12 years in a row, whatever. Um, but if you've done 12, um, you get what's called a legacy slot. Um, and a legacy slot means you get to go to Kona, um, but um, you didn't qualify based on time. You qualified based on the number of Ironmans that you've done. Um, and you still have to validate, so you kind of have to do 13, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but you end up getting your slot. Uh, there's an athlete that I've coached in the past um, who, who uh, has a legacy slot for 2019, um, okay. and she's going there. Um, and then the third and final thing I'll say about the qualification is there used to be what was called the Kona Lottery, um, and that you would pay $50 or $100 or something like that, and they would put your name into a lottery. Um, and they would draw out 100 names, and they would say, okay, here's the lottery winners. Uh, about three or four years ago, uh, that was deemed illegal um, because it was contrary to federal laws around gambling. 
Um, and wow, uh, that is glorious. I never <laughs> would have guessed that was the problem. <laughs> and so, so it was. It was basically the company that runs Ironman, which is called the the World Triathlon Corporation. I think it was based in Florida, and it was against the laws of the state of Florida, um, or something like that. I, I, I'm getting the details wrong, um, but but one way or another, it, w- it was illegal because it was gambling, and 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 it was against the rules, against the law. Um, and so Iron Man at the time said, okay, we're going to figure out a way to, to, to get our lottery program back because we want to make this a people's race. It's not just supposed to be an elite race. We want to try and, you know, have a really wide array of people coming. Uh, and they haven't quite figured out how to do it just yet. Um, and then finally, there's also celebrity spots. Like NBC will invite people. Um, and and some, you know, some of them are like human interest stories. Um, um, a lot of them are actors, former pro athletes, stuff like that. When I did it in 2014, Apollo Ono was in the race. Okay, who's the most like famous or infamous celebrity of the last several years that's been invited? Oh man. Okay, so you know the guy who uh, who Sean Astin, the guy who played Rudy back in the day. Absolutely, I know. Yeah, Rudy. and and he and he played. Uh, he was in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he did the Conan Iron Man a few years ago. And most recently in Stranger Things. Okay, <laughs> he was man, poor guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he was great in Stranger Things. Actually, mm-hmm. very good. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, he he did he did the Conan Iron Man a couple years ago. Um, it's worth looking up. I should have done it for this preview episode. Who the uh, the celebrity invitees are going to be this year? So I didn't look that up. Um, Heinz Ward uh, of interest to people who are who are uh, University of Georgia football fans. Uh, uh, former UGA football player Heinz Ward, who uh, went on to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, and did he win a Super Bowl MVP? I don't know if he won MVP, but I know he was a part of, I believe, two different teams that won a Super Bowl. Right on. Um, and so, so yeah, he actually did the uh, – uh, he lives in Atlanta. He lives actually on Columns Drive, which is a place where a lot of, uh, a, a lot of athletes train. Um, he did it a few years ago. Um, he got lucky, a little bit lucky. The weather was a little bit mild the year that he did it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, yeah, he ended up uh, – and he finished in about 14 and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, so that's how you qualify. Um, probably a much longer answer than what you had in mind. So yeah, so I think that the long and the short of it is it's a it's a long process and a, and a trying one. I yeah, mean, it's one you have to go through the ringer to, to to qualify for this race. Yeah, and it's not super straightforward either. I mean, you know, most people who say um, that that I want to qualify and 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 they say, well, George, you qualified before. What would you recommend about qualifying? My biggest recommendation about qualifying is, is go to a race that you know that favors you. Um, because it's all about beating other people. The time, it's not a qualify by time. Um, it's all about going to a race where, where the characteristics of the race favor you. And so, like I said, for example, I qualified in Coeur d'Alene and at Wisconsin. Those are difficult bikes and difficult runs um, with wetsuit swims. I was not a very strong swimmer. I was a strong cyclist and a strong runner. Um, and so those courses um, were 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 easier for me in terms of, of relative to my competitors. Um, they, they, they enabled me to capitalize on my strengths um, relative to my competitors. And so my times weren't super fast compared to people who qualified, say, Ironman Florida. Um, but, uh, but, but I was able to beat all the other people in the age group or most of the other people in the age group and therefore get a, get a, get a time. Um, I'll also say it's, it's profoundly difficult um, for age group women to qualify um, for two reasons. One is because they tend to have fewer qualifying spots. Um, if there's only two qualifying spots in your age group or one qualifying spot in your age group, it's very hard to, to get that spot. You have to have everything go right for you on that day. Right. Um, there's very little margin for error. And what's more, you remember what, uh, what, what Haley Chura talked about a couple of weeks ago, that you have all these pro-level women in the you know 25 to 29 and 30 to 34 and th- probably 35 to 39 age groups. 
who would be pros, but they want to keep going to Kona. Um, and so, so they're taking up those one or two slots, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it's very, very difficult to qualify as a woman. It's quite difficult to qualify as a man as well. Um, but it's profoundly difficult for, for women to qualify for Kona. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, anyway. So now that we've talked about what it takes to get there, tell us a little bit about the race itself. All right. So, so Kona, it was, it was started in 1978. Um, and in, the early 1980s, I want to say like 1982 maybe, um, it was moved over to the Big Island. Um, it started on Oahu, um, and it was basically a few guys who got together and said, hey, do you think we can do the Waikiki Rough Water Swim and this really well-known bike ride um, and the Honolulu Marathon all on the same day? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they got together, and they did it. Um, and that's the reason why it's 2.4 miles because that was the distance of the Waikiki rough water, open rough, open water swim. Um, and then that's the reason why it's 112 miles rather than a hundred miles. Um, because that's roughly the, 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 uh, the, the length of this bike ride that went around the outside of Oahu. Um, and then marathon, you know, it's a marathon, 26.2 miles. Um, and so people always kind of look at the, the first two numbers, like 2.4 and 112, and they wonder, okay, why is it not 5K and 100 miles or something like that? And that's why. Um, and then it's also, there's a big cutoff at midnight because the whole idea was, okay, we're trying to do all this stuff in one day. Um, and so, so the, the cutoff times are always right around midnight, you know, and you're only going to get to be an official finisher and be called out as an Ironman if you finish before midnight because the whole idea is that you finished these three events jammed together in one event in a single day. Right. Um, and yeah, it's gotten more and more popular and it's become more and more difficult to qualify over the course of the last several years. Uh, it was kind of this weird niche event when it first started out in the early 1980s. Um, but there was a couple of different athletes um, uh, who uh, really brought it up to, to being uh, the prominence that it is today. Um, one of those was Dave Scott. Um, Dave Scott was... Uh, an athlete who had dabbled in a lot of different things um, and and eventually found that um, the Ironman really suited his strengths mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of swimming and suffering and things like that. Um, and he showed up on the scene with Ironman and like lowered the finishing time literally by hours um, and actually competed at the Ironman level as opposed to just kind of finishing and crawling through the race and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and his doing that showed that it could be an athletic event that, that where people actually compete. Um, the other one is a woman named Julie Moss. Um, and Julie Moss is, is best known because in 1982, um, she was leading the race actually, and very close to the finish line, literally like within the last 50 meters, she collapsed and she could not get up. And so she started crawling to try and get across the finish line. And as she's crawling for the finish line, she was passed and ends up finishing second. Um, and, and the ABC Wild World of Sports, which was kind of like the, the, the um, variety show of sports at the time, um, was covering the Ironman as this sort of niche fringe event, right? And people saw Julie Moss crawling across the finish line in 1982. And in like classic endurance mindset like all these people looked at that and said i want to do that <laughs> right yeah push to the limit right i mean and, and so you know it's it's only an endurance sports where 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 people actually see people crawling across the finish line being like that looks awesome um you know abc wide world of sports is showing you how terrible it is and people are like looking at it like oh yeah let me do that um and so so 
applications literally like doubled or tripled the following year. Um, and Dave Scott ended up going on to win six in a row, and he had a series of battles with a guy named uh, Mark Allen. Um, and then Mark Allen ended up going on to win like six in a row um, and held the uh, the two of them together, held the run course record until just a couple of years ago when Patrick Lang actually broke it. Um, and so, so um, yeah, it, it and it's, it's emerged into being this, you know, major event. Um, one of the coolest things about doing Kona is that the eyes of the triathlon world are really on Kona that week. Um, there's not a whole lot of other events. Now, Ironman, in what I think is really a weird decision, the last few years has actually put other Ironman events on that same day. Um, really? Yeah, and so they're almost like dividing their own attention. Um, but um, but they've... they've um, uh, it's really kind of the center of the triathlon universe for that week. Um, and you feel that when you're there um, because it's such a high profile, such a such a marquee race and... and yeah, you really do feel that, and you sense that when you're when you're there. Um, I should probably also mention I've talked about Ironman here a few times, and I referred to WTC. Ironman, it's a company, and so this is not a world championship, just like an Olympic championship, or like the world championship of cycling, or like the uh, the world championship of of track and field, um, because it's the world championship of the Ironmans that are related to this com- to this company, um, and so. If you and I wanted to go out and, and start a triathlon company, you know, George and Patrick's triathlons, mm-hmm. and then we got a few people to show up, and then we said, hey, we're going to have a world championship of George and Patrick's triathlons. It's going to be, you know, at my house on December 25th. We could do that, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody would come, right. um, but it'd be a world championship. And that's kind of what, what, not to take anything away from it, but that's kind of what Kona is. It's the world championship of this company of that started this Ironman brand thing and so there are other 100 140.6 mile events out there they're because of reasons related to trademarks they're not allowed to call themselves ironmans um but um but the ironman world championship it's the championship for this particular company's races yeah um interesting yeah um that certainly puts it in a bit of of a different perspective there um, and, and since you, you, you have some experience in running the race and you talked a little bit about this with, with the lava and the heat and the wind, et cetera, tell us a little bit more about the, the course itself. All right. I mean, yeah. Good question. Um, so, so the thing that, that it's, I, I've always said that, that, that certain races kind of live up to the hype and you've heard me say that before. New York city marathon lived up to the hype. Boston marathon lives up to the hype. Kona lives up to the hype and, and there's a lot of hype around it. Um, and a lot of the things that, that are features of the Kona course, just like the things that are the features of the Boston course are kind of a part of general triathlon lore. And so like the lava fields are part of general triathlon lore. Digme beach is part of the, the, the general triathlon lore, stuff like that. I'm um, just like, you know, heartbreak Hill in Boston is part of general running lore. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the people cheering at Wellesley is part of like general running lore. Like all runners have heard of that, whether they've, they've done Boston or not. Um, Kona is the same way. Um, anyway, so, so, um, you start the swim, um, uh, there in downtown Kailua Kona, um, which is otherwise a pretty little small fishing town on the big Island of, 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 uh, Hawaii. Um, and, and, uh, it starts, you, you start by, you know, you, you get set up just like you do for any other Ironman. You set up your bike and all that sort of thing. And then you kind of get squeezed into this little small, maybe three person wide staircase, that goes down into the water. 
Um, and it starts at a place that they call Digme Beach, but there's not actually a beach. Um, there's a seawall, and there's the waves hitting it's a seawall. And so you walk down these stairs on the edge of the seawall, uh, and you get directly into the water. And then you have to swim about 70 meters out to the starting line. Um, now, Kona, unlike most other Ironmans by this point, still uses a mass start, uh, and that means everybody starts at the same time. And so if you do like the, the Ironmans here in the south, if you do Ironman Chattanooga, Ironman Louisville, um, those people jump in the water one at a time. Right. Um, and Ironman has effectively gotten rid of mass starts at pretty much all of their, at least their North American races, um, with the exception of Kona. Kona, everybody's in the water, you're sitting there waiting, they fire the gun, and everybody starts. Um, now, they separated into pro men and pro women, then age group men, and then they've actually now separated out age group women as well. They start about 10 minutes after the, the age group men. They're the last people to start. Um, but they fire the gun, and everybody starts swimming, and everybody's all on top of each other and punching each other and swimming over one another and all that sort of thing. It's Sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I like the mass start. Um, I, I think Not only do I think it's exciting, but when everybody starts at the same time, you know exactly who where you are in the race. You know, um, When I was doing Wisconsin, if I pass somebody, I'm passing them. You know, it was a mass start back then, too. When I did Kona, if I pass somebody, I'm passing them. And I know I'm now beating them in the race. Um, if they started a different time for me, I pass them. And I'm like, well, I might be passing them. Or they might have started five minutes after me, which means they're still technically five minutes in front of me, even though I just passed them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually like mass starts for that reason. They they're, they feel more competitive to me. Um, but anyway, um, so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, and then the Kona swim, if you're in the pack is is more of a physical swim than others because the pack doesn't thin out as much un- unless you're in the very front of the pack. Um, so you can it's clear blue Hawaiian water. You can see the bottom even though it's you know 30, 40 feet down. Um, they put ads on the ground uh, on, on the water and so you're like swimming along you're trying to get this race try not to get hit in the head and there's like an ad for amazon.com you know <laughs> flo- floating down below you and there's and there's there's are the ads for like goggles and oh yeah yeah and there's, there's... wish you had a gel right now don't you pal <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's and there's divers that are down there and they're taking under under shots and all that sort of thing it's really cool um eventually and this is actually unsettling the first time i did it because i re- it took me a minute to realize it eventually you get to where you can't see the bottom anymore and it's because it's gotten so deep. And so you are in the ocean. Um, and, and it's a pretty straightforward swim. You swim um, about 1.1 miles out into the ocean in Kailua Bay. You take a right turn. You swim about 100 yards or so in that right turn. And you get another right turn and you swim back. That's it. Um, and so, yeah, super straightforward. Um, I, sh- I, tr- I should have gotten Haley to say this when we interviewed her a couple weeks ago. Um, but I, but I've heard her say this in other places and I've, I've seen, I've read it before that she, she likes Kona for the same reasons that I liked Coeur d'Alene in Wisconsin. She likes Kona because the swim is harder in Kona than it is a lot of other places. Which um, makes sense because she has the swimming background. Right, exactly. And so she was first out of the water four times as, as an age grouper and then one time as a pro, right? Um, she likes Kona because the swim is hard and the swim is hard because it's not a wetsuit swim. Mm-hmm. It's much more physical. Um, and and it's 2.4 miles. It's not 2.31 miles. Oh, 2.24. It's 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 a full 2.4 miles. Um, you know they make sure that it's a a fully certified 2.4 mile course. Um, and so so yeah, um, you swim all the way out. You turn around. You swim all the way back. Um, now in 2012, um, like I said, I qualified based on the strength of my cycling and my running. Um, and so in 2012. 
I I swam in Coeur d'Alene with a wetsuit on an hour and 22 minutes. Um, and then I biked really well, and then I ran a 259 marathon. So um, it was funny because a lot of – I came back to Atlanta, and people inside the Atlanta community were like, yeah, that's really incredible. You ran a 259 marathon. It's really great. Wow, 259 marathon in an Ironman is a big deal. And Matthew Rose, who is Haley's coach, who has a swimming background, who ultimately I made my coach in 2013 – um he said, yeah, but did you see what he swam? <laughs> right. Um, and, and cause he knew it's always that friend. <laughs> well, he knew what that meant for Kona and he was right. Um, because I went into Kona that first year in 2012 thinking, okay, well I've done two Ironmans. I've done Cozumel and I've done, I've done Coeur d'Alene. And in both of those, I was sort of surrounded by the pack. I had to swim in the pack. There's all these people. I didn't have to do any sighting. I just followed where everybody else went. Right. Um, and, and I got a nice draft from the pact and, and I just kind of swam and then I emerged in the water and then I pass everybody on the bike and pass everybody on the run. That's kind of what I thought that, that Kona was going to be like the first time around in 2012. Instead, I swam with the pack for about 200 yards and the whole pack swam away. Literally the whole pack swam away. And so I am by myself in the ocean for 2.4 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was not mentally or physically prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, sh- I should have been, I should have been more, better physically prepared. I should have spent more time between Coeur and Kona swimming and trying to improve my swim. And I didn't, um, for a lot of reasons that we don't need to discuss. Um, not the least of which is that I don't love swimming. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, um, um, I, but more than that, I wasn't mentally prepared for it because I mean, I really felt like I was in the middle of the ocean solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just was not making any progress. It was just not getting anywhere. And I had these goals for that race and I'm just, you know, they're gone. And the reason why that happened, of course, is because most people who make it to Kona are good three sport athletes. They're, they're, they're excellent swimmers. They're excellent runners. They're excellent cyclists. Like they're, they're balanced triathletes or they're named George Darden. Yeah. Or, or they're <laughs> named George Darden and they're, you know, I wrote my blog at the time. I was a two trick pony, mm-hmm. you know, I was a really, really good cyclist and a really, really good runner. And I was a passable swimmer, you know, it's, that's not good enough in Kona because everybody, you know, rides off and, and, or swims off and leaves me. So I somehow finished that swim. I still to this day, actually don't know how I finished that swim. Um, but there was definitely a time when I was like, I'm not going to make the swim cut off. Um, and so if you are somebody, by the way, who's a weak swimmer. So as we're talking about preview in the course here, if you're somebody who's a weak swimmer and you're not going to swim, you don't normally swim faster than 115. Because about ninety percent of the of the field is out of the water by about an hour and fifteen minutes, um, and you're, so if you're not going to swim one fifteen, particularly if you're a woman and you're not going to swim one fifteen, because y'all are starting last, be mentally prepared for the fact that you're going to be in the ocean solo. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're doing it in two thousand eighteen, if you're doing it two thousand nineteen, get your ass to the pool <laughs> and start swimming and start trying to improve your swim because because that's that's really going to matter. Um, so I made it out of the water that day somehow. Um, my wife, yeah, a lot of the fun really left. Um, my wife thought I was, I had drowned. Um, and, uh, and she, you know, she and our, a friend and my parents were there and they had like grass skirts and all these sorts of things on all that. Sort of, and, and, and like, uh, our friend said she knew it was getting serious when Casey took off her grass skirt and went to talk to the officials to say, where's my husband? Right. Um, the gloves because, came off. So yeah. To speak. Yeah. Literally. Uh, and so, so yeah, it was just, it was just bad. Um, 
so yeah, the, the the swim the swim is difficult. The swim is honest. There's a reason why Haley Chura, the two time qualifier for the Olympic trials, likes Kona's swim because it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and talking about how important the, the swim is, so tell us a little bit about how that plays in this, into this particular race and the the elite field. Okay. So yeah, and so the so the elite field, um, and and Haley talked about this a little bit. Um, uh, everybody that's in the elite field is going to swim um, well under an hour. They're all going to swim well under 55 minutes, right? Um, so most of the women are going to swim under 58 minutes. Most of the women are going to swim under 55 minutes. And the, the adage in Kona has always been that you can't win on the swim, but you can lose. Um, and um, that, that's, that's certainly true for both age groupers and for, for, for pros. But what it means for pros, the reason why it's important for pros, and Haley talked about this, is that if you get out of the water with the people in the front, then you're going to have people to ride your bike with. And you're not allowed to draft in Ironman. You're not allowed to draft there, but you're able to go faster when there's somebody who's 10 meters in front of you and, and you're able to, to go their pace. And, and if you don't, the person who's 10 meters behind you is going to pull up and pass you, right? So you're always, always better off being able to go a little bit faster. Now, um, a lot depends on the pack you get out of. Like last year, Lionel Sanders, who ended up finishing second, who's an incredibly strong biker, um, he ended up not getting out with the front pack, but he got out with some other really, really strong cyclists. And so that helped. And so the, 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 him and the, the other cyclists that he got out with, they were able to move up and essentially catch up with and ultimately pass the people who got out of the water first uh, on the bike. Um, but, but yeah, if you, if you don't get out of the water with people who bike about what you bike, you're going to be effectively solo on the bike. Okay. Yeah. Um, now what that meant for me when I got out of the bike, so, so, or when I got out of the water so much slowly is that I got onto the bike, which where I'm strong and I started passing people and I passed more than 900 people on the bike ride, but it was like, I was, I was effectively by myself the whole time just because there was no, there was never anybody that was going about the same speed that I was. 2014, I spent a lot of time training, getting much better. I finished in the pack in 2014. I got out of the water and I was fired up. My only, my only goal for the swim in 2014 was to finish with the pack. Um, and I got out in the middle of the pack and I was like, that's exactly what I had in mind. And then got on my bike and, and had kind of a crazy experience on my bike. Cause I was in the pack. Um, right. Um, so, so yeah. So anyway, so you get out on the bike. Um, I, I, last week I was, I was, or a couple of weeks ago, I was running with, um, a couple of triathletes who were getting ready to do an Ironman. And I said that T1 transition one, where you go from being in the water to, to actually uh, being on your bike is one of the weirdest things in endurance sports. Cause you go from being horizontal, like totally in your own world. You can't really hear anything right to suddenly you emerge out and there's music playing. And in Kona, like people are beating on drums and there's all these folks cheering and, and you're running and you have this really important job to do and you have like these specific things you have to change your shoes and you have to, you know, it's, it's just, it's really harried. And so it's very, the whole T1 thing is very odd. So anyway, you, you, you get out in, in Kona, you run up those little stairs, the same ones you went down in order to get in. Um, and then you, you can, you run through this spray that you can like rinse the salt water off if you want to. And then you grab your bag and you go into a tent and the tent is the most humid place on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then you change and then you go to your bike. Now the, the transition area in Kona is giant 
and they make everybody run basically the entire perimeter of the transition area. And so you shouldn't put your shoes on in the tent because you're going to be running a pretty long way. Um, and so run with your shoes on. And either when you get to your bike, you can put your shoes on or um, you can put them on some other time. In 2014, which I did this much better, I you know had my shoes in my hand. I ran, I, I ran, I grabbed my bike. I ran with my bike and my shoes in hand all the way right to the exit of the transition area. And I handed my bike to a volunteer real quick and I threw on my shoes and then I left. Um, and that probably saved me a couple of minutes. I wasn't having to actually run in my uh, my my triathlon shoes. Um, in 2012, it's pretty easy to find my bike because all the other bikes were gone out of the transition area. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it was, alone. It was, it was no, it really was. It was kind of pathetic. I mean, I, I as weird as this sounds and as anthropomorphic as this sounds, I felt bad for my bike because it was like it was just sitting in the middle of this gigantic trans- transition area entirely solo. Just completely lonely. And, and and they force you to run so far. I could see it for like two minutes before I got to it. <laughs> I was like, there's my bike. Run, 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 run. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't be sad. Bike, here I come. Uh, and so I finally get in my bike. I finally hop on it and, and I'm able to ride off. But anyway, so and then just to add to the harried nature of of transition one of T1, the, the opening few miles of the bike course at Kona, you basically like do all these little loops around downtown. And, and, and so you're doing all these turns, you're going up and down these hills and stuff like that. And there's all these people everywhere. And so it just makes it that much more harried. Um, and then about three or four miles in, you go up a pretty long climb, which is right there in downtown. You turn around, you go back down it. And then you finally around mile seven or eight, you go get out onto the queen K highway. And the Mm -hmm. queen K is one of those, like I said, iconic things. Um, so uh, you get out on the Queen K Highway and and you take that all the way out to uh, a small town called uh, Kauai High, and then at Kauai High you take a right turn and you go up to Javi, um, and there's about a seven mile climb that goes up to Javi. If you get out with the pack, there's a lot of ugly stuff going on on the Queen K on the way out because it's windy and people are trying not to draft off one another, except for the people who are trying to draft off other people. And so there's just a lot of kind of craziness if you get out of the water with the pack, which obviously most people do. Um, and then a lot of that separates out on the seven mile climb up to Javi. Okay. Um, and seven mile climb up to Javi, it can be kind of windy in 2014. The wind was very heavy, um, uh, on the bike. And so the wind was all kind of swirling around, um, you turn around and then you descend back down. So you go down the seven mile climb, which is blazing fast. You get back to Kauai High. You go up a super steep two minute hill. You turn back onto the Queen K, and then you take the Queen K all the way back into uh, into town. Um, now, if anybody wants more details, by the way, if you want to know like the way that I actually broke up that 112 miles of cycling, if you want to know what the landmarks are and that sort of thing, send me an email, George at itlcoaching.com. Or if you just like Patrick better, send one to Patrick, Patrick at itlcoaching.com. And, and I'll forward it to, to George. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you that. But, you know, for the sake of, of, of brevity here, there's no need to go into all the specific things like, you know, the airport and the Waikoloa Road and, and all that sort of thing. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite things, though, in, in both 2012 and 2014, there was a volunteer standing right there at the top of the hill at Kauai High right as you take the right turn back onto the Queen K Highway to go back to Kailua Kona, back to the transition area, back to where the swim was and where the finish line is and everything, there was a guy standing there going, go home, get out of here. <laughs> and I think it's like that guy's thing. Gotcha. Like, like that's what he does every year, and that's sort of like his joke, you know. Um, so that was pretty funny. Um, and it's funny. It's good. Um, so, yeah, so then you get off the bike and you change it up and 
head out on the run. All right. Well, that was a uh, quite a comprehensive uh, coverage of, <laughs> of the course. I spent like and like I said, there's more comprehensive stuff. Email me if you want the details, but but yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah. All right. So the so so the run you actually run an out and back on on a Lee Drive, um, which is the famous the, the famous drive, um, and that takes you to about nine or ten miles. Um, at the Right about the the tenth mile, in the eleventh mile, you take a turn. And you run up what's called Polani Hill. Polani Hill is, by any standards, a steep, long hill. Mm-hmm. It's profoundly difficult. Um, and and one of the things that struck me the first time I went there in 2012, and then again in 2014, because I had almost forgotten, is how steep and long that hill actually is, by any standards, by any objective standards. Um, I blew up going up Polani Hill in 2012. Like the the stress of the swim and and lost nutrition all that sort of thing, I held it together okay on the bike. Totally blew up on the run, um, and and it's because I went up Polani Hill too hard, um, and so I told my wife in 2014 I'm going to go up slow. She was actually at the top of Polani Hill, and I crested Polani Hill, and she thought something was wrong. And she told me later on she was like, "I know you said you were going to go slow up Polani Hill, but I didn't think you meant you were going to go that slow." Right. Um, but you know. It's still fast enough to pass Apollo Ono. That's where I passed him in 2014. There you go. You know, former gold medalist. So, so that was pretty good. He's a good swimmer, so he put a bunch of space on me on the swim. Um, and then uh, you go out onto the Queen K Highway again. So, so same hot highway where you had been cycling. You go back out on the Queen K Highway again. Um, you go past halfway. You take a, a right turn or a left turn. You go down into the, the so-called Energy Lab. So, again, you know, famous, iconic Energy Lab. You run downhill for... A mile and a half, you, you take a turn, you turn around in the energy lab, you come back. Um, it's a hilly, hot part of the race where it happens to also be the place where where the shit really hits the fan in mm-hmm. an Ironman, um, right there around 18 miles of the of the marathon. Um, it comes to this very hot place in the energy lab. So make it out of energy lab. You have two more hills. Make your way on back to a lead drive again. Go to the finish line. So, yeah. Um, it's a great race. It's fun. Um, I uh, Well, fun. It's hard. Um, right. you know, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have done it a couple of times. Um, and, and like I said, it lives up to the hype. Sounds good. Sounds like it. Um, any other final thoughts? Um, yeah, I'll give you a couple more. So just talk about the, the, the pro races. Um, I'm not going to, going to predict anything related to the pro races for the women's race because we had Haley do that a couple of weeks ago and who am I to say to disagree with Haley Chura? Um, but you'll, you'll recall she predicted that Daniela Reef was going to win, and it's hard to bet against Daniela Reef. She said that Lucy Charles was probably going to finish second, and she thought that Sarah True was probably going to finish third. or she Her pick to finish third was Sarah True, which I think is good. Um, the men, Patrick Lang and Lionel Sanders, who finished 1-2 last year, have to be the top two favorites again for this year. Uh, Jan Ferdino, who's, uh, who has won a couple of times and who had a brilliant race in a very competitive and very fast race at the 70.3 world championships a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, uh, is out, um, a few, uh, days, uh, about a week after the, uh, the, the 70.3 world championships in South Africa, uh, on Instagram, he posted, he has a stress fracture in his, uh, his sacrum. Um, so in his hip basically. Um, and so, yeah, he's on crutches. So clearly he's not going to be competing, which is too bad, but that opens up the field a little bit more here. Um, and then one other person I'll point out that is qualified, um, Alexander Vinokurov, 
um, who some of you, if you're fans of cycling, might know. Alexander Vinokurov won the Olympic road race in 2012 in cycling. Um, he's a controversial figure because he was served a couple years as a doping ban or for a doping ban and then came back, um, and won that Olympic road race. And he was former grand tour contender and all that sort of thing. He's the founder of team Astana, um, which is still a team on the world tour level that competes in all the grand tours. Um, he has retired from cycling, retired from cycling four or five years ago. Um, but did, I think it was Ironman Frankfurt as an age grouper. And qualified as an age grouper for the Kona Ironman World Championships. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, presented by Amazon.com. And uh, and so he uh, he, as you would imagine, he did a so-so swim. Um, you know, did like a one twenty swim, and then he did a four twenty bike. Um, threw down this massive, you know, blistering bike split and passed everybody in the race, and probably put a lot, you know, several miles on him. And then he ran a solid run. He ran like a three thirty marathon or something like that. Um, and put all those together, it was good enough to put him at the front of his age group. And so he punched his ticket to Kona as an age grouper and will be competing there in 2018 this year. Um, so yeah, if you're around town that, that week, if you're going to be there, um, you know, add him to your tracker, keep your eyes peeled for him. Cause he's, he's probably going to be there. So kind of fun there. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for the, uh, the, the synopsis and the preview. Looking forward to following in a few weeks. Right on, man. Hopefully folks got a little bit something out of it. So thanks for listening, everybody. And that'll do it for another installment of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, too. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com at ITL Coaching on Twitter, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. And of course, our new sponsor, Blue Pineapple Travel, a full-service travel agency that can book travel anywhere in the world for you. They're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blue Pineapple Travel, on Instagram at instagram.com slash Blue Pineapple Travel, or simply at bluepineappletravel.com. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.